Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Our podcasts are made possible in part by corporate sponsor, Store My Tumor. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't have cancer, I can't relate to it. But I think everyone should see this film because it's so relatable and it's really like a day in the life of. What most people don't expect and what even fewer people ever receive is a cancer diagnosis. I'm here today with Melissa, husband Jimmy, and co-star Megan. In this episode, we talk about so many topics from various stages of cancer, breast cancer recurrence, and stage four. There are so many questions about what it means to be diagnosed with breast cancer. That's why we made a movie about it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the conversation. I'm super excited to be here with the cast from Ginger the Movie. We have Jimmy, I'm not going to remember anyone's last name, so I'm sorry, and I believe That's you right. are the director? Uh, co-director with my wife and producer. And producer, okay. We also have Megan. Yes, and I play Brie in the film. Excellent. And then the famous? Uh, I am Melissa, so I um, was the I was on the writing team and helped kind of really shape the story with my experience because... I was also the idea behind Ginger, and um, I also co-directed and cut the film. Amazing. Yeah. So is your background in general in film production or film writing, screenwriting? Not so much screenwriting. We do a lot of um, video marketing. Um, My wife and I actually met in film school at Loyola University and uh, went on to DePaul and have been doing filmmaking ever since. Excellent. Yeah. So, Melissa, I understand that this film is kind of like your prodigy because of your ideas and experiences that you went through. Can you take us back to the beginning of your breast cancer story? Back to the beginning, man. So it started in 2011 when I found a lump and then after being told it was nothing um, or being told that it was probably nothing and then finally getting a diagnosis, uh, I was, it was invasive uh, breast cancer and I was 23 that was 2011 and constantly told you were too young by everybody who saw you right and I did I you know I was young enough that I did exactly what my doctors told me I had the lumpectomy I did chemo because the tumor was a certain size if it's a certain size and lymph nodes are involved they do chemo and then I did radiation and From there, I was supposed to be clear, so I kind of washed my hands a bit, and I remember that it, everything that I experienced was very unique in the sense that I was always the youngest in the cancer center. I was always asking really weird questions like, can I drink? What does sex look like? And these were things that I don't know why other patients might not be asking them, but they, you know, my doctors were surprised. And then in 2013, I had a recurrence and had a double mastectomy to treat it um, because you know they were we were wondering if maybe we would have to have more chemo down the line or more radiation but after the mastectomy those lymph nodes were clear so that was the only treatment I needed but I decided just to go ahead and do a double to be safe Absolutely. because 
I said, I don't ever want to have to deal with this again. Um, unfortunately, no doctor told me, hey, you might. Um, I think in between that, so that was 2013, uh, Jimmy and I were looking to go back to grad school, get our higher ed degrees, maybe go into teaching, and um, Ginger became this idea. This, like, let's write a movie about this experience. You've had cancer twice now. It's so unique to young adults. Let's do something really cool. And in 2016, in the midst of cats casting it, um, I was re-diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. Not just the bits, it was like our second day of casting. We were, what, a month away from beginning production. The yeah. script was finished and we were going to uh, move forward and she wasn't feeling well, I went to the doctor and, uh, you know, ended up coming. I, I actually remember vividly, I was scouting a uh, uh, emergency room location that we were hoping to film in. And I got just a call from Melissa and she just said, it's back. And it was just kind of heartbreaking. Um, there was a moment where we weren't sure if we were going to move forward with the film because of all that. But, um, you know, in the end, I remember it, it came down to Melissa, me and the other two producers, uh, Johnny and Ryan, both, we all sat down and just said, you know, what do you want to do? And she's like, I, I want to make this movie. Yeah, I think if anything, it's more, it was more important to finish it and make it then because not only do we have, I had the, this experience, but now we have this diagnosis that just dropped on us. And, I was, and they're saying things to me like incurable and terminal. And I think at that point, like I was dealing with a lot of rage. I was like, how is this not something more talked about? And so, yeah, I, I think that yeah, it motivated me more than anything to want to be able to make the movie, create awareness around breast cancer in young women, young adult cancer, and then move the conversation to, this is how we can cure it if we kind of start focusing on metastatic cancer. Was your original diagnosis, was it estrogen driven or triple negative, or do you know what type mm -hmm. of um, cancer you had? Yeah, so I think from day one, I was estrogen positive, and then HER2 negative, mm -hmm. and it's funny because um, even the second time and then the third diagnosis, the stage four diagnosis, it, it's been the same thing across the board. They did do a blood biopsy, so my, for whatever reason, the receptor on the tumors themselves, the, the tumor markers or something has mutated, so it is estrogen driven, which usually can be treated with and, um, like endocrine therapy. Yes. Did you do endocrine but therapy? I did, and my body just won't. It's just, it's not treating it, cause it wow. because of that mutation. And so now we're looking into new ways of like maybe different endocrine therapies, newer endocrine therapies, but right now it's kind of chemo or bust. Okay, mm -hmm. so I'm just trying to wrap my head around this recurrence where it sounds like the recurrence came back, but it wasn't immediately stage four. Right. Okay. And yeah. then, because your body wasn't responding to the hormonal therapies, it still came back. Oh, sorry. So the my second recurrence was actually completely um, confined to the breast, oh, and they okay. treated with a mastectomy, and that was in 2013. Okay. And then in 2016, when I became stage four, what we did is because uh, my tumors were so large and they were on the liver, there were other places too, but the liver is where they saw it, they were like, we need to start chemo this week. Wow. So I started chemo that week, 
And then once stuff started shrinking, we tried endocrine therapy. And then that didn't work. And then it didn't work again. We tried a couple things. We took out the ovaries. That didn't work. We tried, you know, two or three different types of endocrine therapy. That didn't work. So then we went back to chemo. Okay. And that's where I've been since. Yeah. Yeah. I read a lot too of like, you know, if it does come back with recurrence, that could be like the local recurrence, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's coming back in the breast tissue. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for, for knowledge sharing, what were some of your symptoms for you to be able to check yourself in to say something doesn't feel right? it to be discovered on your liver yeah the big one was um I was throwing up a lot and I was nauseous all the time and I'm mad at myself now because I went to my old oncologist but I would go to her and I would say I'm constantly tired I'm always nauseous I'm I'm out of breath even though I shouldn't be I'm working out every day like, I feel like there might be something wrong, and generally they don't do scans if you are stage one, unless symptoms present in the blood work or whatnot. And so it took, I think it took me throwing up consistently for like at least a, a week or two weeks for someone to finally say, yeah, come in, we need to like check this out, because I certainly wasn't pregnant, we knew that my hormones were way not on board with being pregnant, so... Um, that was the big one. And then, the luckily, the onco that I had switched to um, hadn't had a picture. She was like, we haven't had a picture in three years. I really want to get a picture. Let's make it happen. And then, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how you have to be, like, an advocate for getting those scans and those tests. I, I know I'm in a similar boat where mm-hmm. I'm actually going in um, for six months for a mammogram next week. Mm-hmm. And so I'm having all this, like, flooding of anxiety of, like, last time I was here, it didn't end so well. So, yep. you know, hopefully, like, fingers crossed that you want everything to be fine. But then also, like, okay, well, where's my MRI? Where's my, like, CT scan and PET scan? Like, I need to know that the rest of my body is okay. Right. And similarly, I also had my lymph nodes removed. Mm-hmm. I had a full node uh, dissection as well. And so they did find lesions on my um, lungs and on my liver as well, but they're monitoring those to make sure that those don't grow. Um, and the doctors have reassured me too. It's like, you know, you look hard enough, you're gonna find spots everywhere. So I love being a new podcast because there's always so many firsts, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the first where we're, we're actually talking about recurrence. And so I think that's really yeah. important for our listeners to know what some of those symptoms are. And I can't imagine um, maybe turning it towards like some of the emotional, like mental thoughts that have gone through um, that recurrence. Because I know I'm in this phase now where I'm constantly freaking out. Like mm-hmm. yeah, some days I think about it all the time. Sometimes it's just a fleeting moment and I can move on, but it's always in the back of my head. Like, what advice do you have, or how do you manage that? That's why we made a movie about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair um, because I think that it was cathartic to be able to put to paper what I was experiencing, because that's all that I thought about. Maybe not after the very first time. I think I kind of like pushed it real deep down and tried to move on. And then after the second recurrence where I had the double mastectomy, after that, I was not able to cope. And I think that that is across the board, 100%. Everyone struggles with survivorship. And like, yeah, you you were monitored really closely by doctors almost every week. And then they legit tell you, you're cured, bye. And they shove you out the door and that's it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's crippling anxiety and fear about what's happening in your body. You don't know. 
they don't care to check. I mean, I they do care to check, but they're very uh, cautious about it. I think you just need to be your own self-advocate. I think that was a yeah. big thing that I, we both took away. It was just that, you know, they have all the best intentions, but there are these, like, formulas that usually work. But that doesn't mean that, you, you know, you know your own body. If you're not feeling right, you got to you know advocate for yourself a little bit i think best advice for that because it doesn't necessarily go away and trying to ignore it just makes it worse what helped me honestly was finding a therapist and talking like through it and then finding like behavioral patterns to cope with it it gets easier with time that's like the best advice i could give i think yeah 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 it almost becomes like a new normal which is you know it's something that take. I mean, I think it took years for us to get to that point where it was, you know, yeah, Melissa has cancer. Um, you know, my wife has cancer. We're going to keep living our lives. I mean, you just have to. I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I think there's, it's hard for you not to live, especially the way that Melissa's treatment's working. And I, I personally, I don't know if this is a, the norm, but like she gets a scan every three months and it's, you know, how those, the next three months following that scan, how those are going to be really is like, you know, if it's a good scan, it might be a little bit more optimistic those three months. If not, it's, you know, okay, well, these three months are going to stink. And that, I think, has been something that took a long, long time to get used to. And I, I don't know if there was really a shift for me personally or if it just kind of just became life, you know? Yeah. I do want to say one thing from the perspective of someone who did, like, who was struggling with survivorship and is now on the metastatic side of this. I'm mad at myself for how long it took me to find someone to talk to and get help, and I'm mad at myself for how much time I wasted worrying, because obviously it did not do me good to worry. So trying to be as present and in the moment as possible is also uh, something I would advise. That's really great advice. So kind of like in hindsight, being able to reflect on mitigating some of that stress and that worry, which can also be one of those symptoms that increases cancer, right? Mm -hmm. In the growth of it, I think, um, I know myself, I'm constantly stressed. I don't know if it's just like the anxiety from the cancer and what I'm calling like post-traumatic stress disorder of like mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, you know, very true. I talk to a lot of women where, you know, you're going through anxiety or depression and these are very common side effects after treatment. And to your point, you get so used to going to the hospitals every week. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're going through radiation, you're there every day. If you're going through different infusion treatments, you're there once a week. And for me, I remember this place being the safe place. I was there every week and the doctors had my medicine and I was like, I was safe here, I was being taken care of. And then you get pushed out until like come back in three months, come back in six months, come back in a year. And I think that's really where this community that we're building with Breast Cancer Conversations and survivingbreastcancer.org is that gap that yeah. hospitals don't actually like have the resources for to facilitate because that's really where you can take a deep breath and say, holy shit, I had cancer. I'm glad you were able to, you know, find someone to speak to, write, journaling, um, and then have this amazing movie. Um, yeah. Can we get inside the heads of like the directors and the writers and the incubation of how this movie came to be? Yeah. You want to kick it off or you want me to? So. Ginger, you know, Ginger is, uh, the movie is called Ginger, <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, our tagline is a 23-year-old woman's guide to breast cancer. It's a movie that, you know, we were talking about making this movie since 
I don't know, a few months after she was initially diagnosed with the earliest stages of, of breast cancer. And we were just, you know, we found every step of the process to just be so unique and so different and something that people, you know, an average person doesn't live that, doesn't experience that. And we wanted to put that on paper. And I think Melissa, um, Melissa and I are both, we're really truly directors, editors. We, we, we're not writers. So we brought in um, Ryan Gruntish, who sat down with Melissa and they co-wrote this um, amazing script. And then me and our other producer came in and we kind of reworked it for a while. And I think right when Melissa was diagnosed, she went back and rewrote everything, at least the whole ending of the movie from a new mindset, from a mi perspective of somebody who is now um, you know, terminal in stage four. Um, and it just took a whole nother life of its own. Yeah, I think especially because it was much easier to kind of write that fear and stuff right when it was new. And then um, I really did want to kind of have, we don't, we take away the staging for Ginger. Um, it is assumed that she will eventually end treatment like when she first gets diagnosed. But then I think we end the movie kind of ambiguously where she has to learn how to be okay even not knowing what's going to happen next because that's what i had to learn to do that's what you had to learn to do that's what everyone who's dealing with this yeah. and then i think even on a larger scale anybody who has ever had an existential crisis needs to kind of learn how to be okay not knowing what the future holds and not controlling it and yeah so i want to to really put that into the script. And I remember sitting down and at my favorite coffee shop and doing that yeah. before we started. Because that's the reality. Like, yeah. There's that always, we don't know what the ending is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something for everybody too. I mean, that's something that's been really, we've heard a lot during our, after our screenings when people kind of give us feedback is that, you know, whether or not they have breast cancer or are affected by breast cancer, they, they relate to the film. I mean, everybody's had this, a version of this experience at some level or another and i think that's something that you know is part of the human story and i know that's something that i love about filmmaking is telling that human story telling the story about what we go through on a daily basis i mean there's things that sometimes we just don't take the time to reflect on and it's really uh, uh just something that i think we wanted to tell that story and also try to inform and help people i mean there's a there's definitely a message of hope that we tried to write into this script and um incorporating humor because i think you really need you know one of my professor our former professors used to say um you know you need a, a little bit of sugar with your medicine and i think that's kind of where we tried to go with this script and uh with the film and a lot of that humor comes just from the quirkiness i mean that's um, like megan here is an incredible improv actor in chicago actress and um she has done some amazing stuff and just her and susan gordon who is our star are just funny people and so you put them in these dramatic roles and it's like you get this amazing mesh of drama and humor and just really high highs and really low lows that I think um, I think resonated with a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so Megan, how did you hear about this film and decide to put your name in for the calling? Um, I saw their posting on theaterinchicago.com. <laughs> um, I was 23, 22, I turned 23 when we were filming. Um, and I, it was like my first summer living in Chicago. And 
I was just trying to like, you know, I'm just auditioning for everything and anything that I can. And then, um, and theaterinchicago.com is like one of the hubs of like non-equity actors looking for work. And so I saw this posting for a movie called Ginger and I was like, and then I saw like the breakdown and I was like, I read everything like Ginger's breakdown. And I was like, okay, well, I'm probably not going to get called back for that. But then I read Brie and I was like, oh, I think that's like a character that I could play. And I submitted for it, just emailed into the email that they said to send to. And um, I got an audition, but I couldn't go. So I sent in, because I was out of, I was here. Um, and I sent in an audition tape and uh, my parents helped me film it. And <laughs> it was like really low key. Um, and then I didn't hear, and then I went on a cruise and I didn't hear back from them for like two weeks. And I was like, like my mom kept asking, have you heard back about that one, the, the thing that we filmed? Right. And I was like, I haven't heard anything back. It's like, I literally was like sitting, I remember sitting on the couch being like, it's fine. Just like. Moving on to the next thing. And then, like, 20 minutes later, I got an email from Johnny Woj. Um, is that how you say his last name, by the way? But, yeah, I got an email from him saying, hey, we'd love to see you at a callback. And I was like, oh, like, 20 minutes after I was, like, moving on to maybe the next thing. So it was really simple, just, like, sending in my stuff, and then I met them. Yeah. Met and we, these two buttes. That was not a simple selection process either. We had over 500 actors and actresses come out for this role. Wow. Not just this role, but for the movie in, in total. Um, That's incredible. And we auditioned as many as possible. I mean, it was it truly, I mean, we were a non-union film, so we had no SAG actors. So we were working with um, Equity, which is theater actors generally, and um, improv actors, who we love working with. And... Um, I'm just I was blown away by the number of people who came out and how excited they all were by just just the sides like nobody got to read the whole script they just read you know one scene or half a scene or something like that for to get ready for the um, audition and everybody was just like you know telling us their own personal stories about being affected by breast cancer or why they you know one person I think told me they were they wanted to come out of retirement just for this <laughs> movie, um, and it I mean really it was it was a little humbling for us because we have done other films, usually comedies and never this personal, and it's always been, you know we've been uh, in school and running our business for a long time so this was our first time where we we're like we're gonna make this right. We're not going to, you know, cut any corners. We're not going to try to, you know, just do this with some friends. We're going to get the right people for the right roles. And it, I think it really shows. And it, it was just an incredible opportunity. And Megan in particular was actually kind of funny because Johnny was the one who, he kind of called us because you couldn't be there. And he was the one who received your, uh, your submission tape. And he was like, you guys have to watch this. And we were just like, <laughs> okay, let's do it. Like we just watched like 75 people, but let's check her out. <laughs> But it's easy how easy it is to, because it was pretty simple to just, like, you write a lot of notes when you're auditioning people, and you're like, well, this person did this really well, and that person did that really well, and then you see the two auditions that you're just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Just, yeah. <laughs> I think, like, even going back to, like, your, the when you mentioned, like, the sides that we got at, um, I remember, like, before I went to the audition, I was, like, rehearsing with my roommates, and... I was the side where we're walking down um, the dock, um, yeah. talking about Dr. Steve. And sorry, just to in case anybody doesn't know like, oh. the film terminology, um, a side is basically just like a segment from a script that yes. um, actors are given with a little bit of direction about the character so that they can sort of um, do their audition. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, 
And I remember we were like auditioning or we were rehearsing that side. And um, my roommates were like, this is like really good. And like you said, it was just like the one, but it goes to show like how realistic you guys write and how like down to earth and like get the dialogue like spot on with like people that are that age because I mean uh, you wrote about your life so you're just Mm -hmm. like basing it on dialogue you've literally had but I think people try so hard to write things that are so authentic that it just doesn't work at all and I think that like right off the even before I got the full script I knew like this was like gonna be something great because you guys just I mean just super incredible writing Thank you. Just gonna like, see it. <laughs> it only took 10, 10 to fifteen drafts. <laughs> well, I think I think that was all a learning process. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it was really just this. This script is so personal. It's like you have to you have to detach yourself. I mean, I've seen many movies where it's about a personal story, and you have some people have a very challenging time. And we did certainly to forget. Like, okay, yeah, that that part of the story was really important in real life, but it doesn't necessarily work in the movie. Um, for example, like. Me as a character, you know, like I'm I'm Melissa's husband, but I don't, tech, I don't actually show up in the movie. Um, tech, actually, Megan's character is based loosely on me and one of Melissa's friends. Yeah. Um, partially because mixture. we, yeah, we, well, we didn't want it to be a relationship drama necessarily, and we didn't want Which it to I be, you know, love. Yeah. I love that it was like not about like a relationship, like defining who you are as a person, like what you're trying to figure out about yourself, and like. You know, I, I love, I love that. And just from a yeah. cancer treatment standpoint, like, wouldn't it be nice if you could just find a man and he could just like <laughs> cure your cancer for you? Wouldn't that be great? But it doesn't work that way. Right. It's like, right. why the would you do that? Happy ending Disney film. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and not everybody, not everybody who gets diagnosed at this age is in a serious relationship. Yeah. And if they are, I mean, if I if I could make the movie like ten hours long, we would have a movie about sex health during breast cancer treatment and what happens when your not so great partner breaks up with you when they find out that you got diagnosed. I mean I've heard wasn't me, all of <laughs> I've heard all of those stories and yes. I would love to incorporate yeah. them. But I think it was important to make her single and to make the entire journey her own because that's like even though I was dating Jimmy, I felt very much like I was on my own kind of path. And there were some really great movies that are already out there about that whole, you know, I've been diagnosed with cancer, maybe not breast cancer, but some sort of cancer, and then, you know, I fall in love or we have a relationship, mm-hmm. and that's, it's been done. But I think something, at least what I've been told, is that, you know, people haven't seen a movie like ours before. Like, right. they haven't seen something that's just so authentic um, 100%. about breast cancer. 90 minutes, um, 97 minutes or however long your film is, you touch upon relationships, whether it's, you know, dating or in a serious relationship, friendships, um, family matters and relationships and that probably so like you were saying we were talking about earlier it's so relatable because it's real um to attest to your writing styles and kind of giving that human voice to something that a lot of people say oh well I don't have cancer I can't relate to it but I think everyone should see this film because it's so relatable and it's really like a day in the life of of what this new normal is and you guys I commend you for everything yeah thank Um, you so many questions. <laughs> Megan, um, did you have like a favorite scene that you loved doing or maybe if not the favorite, what was the most like challenging scene that you had to go oh, through? Oh, okay. Okay. So favorite scene is the freak out scene uh, <laughs> where she, with the ice cream. Um, because 
that was me kind of just like in my own weird Megan element of just like, okay, just freak out and just go all out. And I've trained it for the theater. So <laughs> I was like, they'll tell me to like calm it down. And they did, but um, <laughs> they tone it down like a little bit. Um, but that, I think that was really fun. And Susan is, su that setting up that scene I think was so fun because um, Susan is a different, gets into the character in different ways than I do. So she's on set and she will be like 100% in Ginger, um, in Ginger's head whilst they're like getting, you know, this, everything set up around, um, what, what is like the terminology for like, um, set, set, set design, I think set dressing. Yeah. Set dressing. Yeah. <laughs> I should know these things. Um, but yeah, so it, it was just funny, like being like in all of these, seeing all these different like things just kind of coming together for that one scene. Like Melissa's trying to like talk to us about, um, like direction for like where we should go with this like we're rehearsing it and then they're setting up all of this this wine and then the wine spills on the floor and everyone's freaking out and it's just like it was chaos but it was like so like night i just really loved filming it because it was it made me feel like we were just like a crazy family <laughs> mm -hmm. and i really loved shooting that scene i think the most difficult scene and it's uh not really it's kind of in a mo montage um when she's kind of starting to kind of go downhill, I guess. Um, and it starts to get a little ground, more grounded. Um, it's when she uh, starts to throw up into the toilet and Bree's holding her hair. And it was kind of cut out, but um, there's a part where she like, where Bree is holding her hair and then hair comes out, <laughs> the hair, um, where hair comes out in her hand. And it was like, as someone who, has like I comedy sits very well in my bones when I'm acting um it's just a natural like I don't even have to like try I mean I don't even have to try you know um but uh getting to uh the point um of like that emotional um discomfort in that um that Brie I think would experience and just like the revelation and kind of like I mean, Ginger identifies with her hair. It's like her nickname and it's like, and, and now it's like literally out of her, off her head and her, her hands. And it's like, I think that was like the moment that Brie like realizes like, this is real. This is actual. I mean, it, it was really hard for me as an actor to get into that mindset because I've never worked in film before, like something of this extent. And I didn't really know how to get into like that mode, but like, I felt like, even though it didn't make the final cut, like I felt very like fulfilled after it. Cause I think we all like took a deep breath together after and we were like, it's been a long day. Mm -hmm. Let's just, but I felt like that was like the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I don't have a huge film career, but in at that point, and um, it was really fun to experience that, I guess, acting from an actor's point of view. Brie is such a strong character in the film too. Like the backbone. Yeah. yeah. Ginger is going through all the emotions and yeah, to, to share that. Um, sometimes like even in the silence and that realization, I think you guys did a great job with the cinematography of like, yeah. you know, the unspoken of what's happening. Yeah. Um, I understand once that you were on set that you never missed a day despite all of the treatments and everything that you were going through for this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, a trooper. <laughs> I think that because 
I don't know. I don't know how I did it. Honestly. I don't know how you did it. <laughs> not only was she going through cancer treatment and directing a movie, but weren't you working at the same time? Yeah. She got a job. I got a job. Um, so I got a job over the summer at DePaul. They have this program. They partner with Chicago Housing Authority, and what we did is they brought in. Um, any female students who are high school students who lived in Chicago Housing Authority and were interested in film and they got paid over the summer to do this intensive program where we taught them how to use cameras and lights and equipment and how to kind of Make a build documentary. a documentary and then we, we let them loose to do it and so I was the one of the mentors so I did that during the summer and we did the movie on the weekends. So I did that during the summer. It was like Monday to Thursday. Chemo was on Friday. And then we did the movie on the weekends. Oh. Yeah. And I don't know. How yeah, it was nuts. Because I did that same job the next year. Because it's a really great program that they have set up. But like the next year, they asked me if I would like to join in as well. And I helped. And it was a ton of work. And we weren't <laughs> making a feature film. And I'm not going through <laughs> cancer treatment. So I can just tell you, like... She's nuts, and I was. I'm still impressed. I mean, there were she, and she truly didn't ever miss a day on set. There were a couple of days where she had to come a little late. Um, that's why we co. That's part of why we co-directed. We also, we've been working together for so long that I feel like it's, you know, we just we have the same style, we have the same language. I mean, we barely have to be on the set together to know what the other one's thinking for a scene, um, which is really fortunate when you're thinking about a low-budget film like ours. I mean. We had very low money, so it was really getting scrappy, and part of that scrappiness was we're going to shoot on weekends. That way everybody can work their day jobs, and we can, you know, still get them, you know, we can rotate our crew. So, I mean, we had several people in different positions that sort of took turns. Um, you know, I think other than the producers, obviously our cast, and uh, our cinematographer, Jeff Harder, who is also incredible and our former professor, we, um, we had a lot of people kind of coming and going to make this thing happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think adrenaline mostly. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what was your relationship like, totally behind the scenes? Because I'm super curious with working with Ginger. What was her name? Susan. 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 Did you do a lot of like one-on-one -on -one or counseling or coaching or even like how did? I mean, were you involved in kind of developing that character so she had a realistic um, experience to cancer? I'm not sure if she actually experienced cancer before or. Well, her mom had had breast cancer, but she actually didn't know that until she that. had talked to her mom about this movie. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And um, I think she had already, she came to the audition with a notebook full of thoughts that Ginger might have. Just from the small description that we had, she it's like came... like two sentences long, the description. <laughs> yeah, she came with doodles and quirky things that Ginger would say, and we were like... I think you have a good grasp on developing who you want to portray. So then what happened from there was we would meet a lot for rehearsals and sometimes Susan and I would just meet one on one and I would like, you know, like say this is what it feels like with chemo or this is what it feels like to not know if you're going to live next year. And um, she, I think she also took a lot from me without me realizing it. Because she wasn't, it felt like she was in character the entire production. I think she was. Yeah. I mean, like, I truly don't think I met the true Susan Gordon until we wrapped production. I mean, she is a master at observing. Yes. And picking elements of behavior apart. Quirks and, and things, yeah. Because 
Yeah, there's a lot, like, a lot of people watch the movie and they're like, that is you. I'm like, I don't know how that happened. (laughs) (laughs) But I take full credit for it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but it was definitely, we did have a very close-knit relationship uh, during production, which I don't think, it couldn't have been any other way. And, yeah, every time we, I think we, like, did a take, it was, let's talk about you know, if she wanted to try it a different way, like, let's do it. If I wanted to maybe try something different, she was like, okay, okay, I trust you. Like, it it had to get to that point where we kind of trusted each other. Or if I said, we don't need another take. Yeah. You gotta trust me. <laughs> yeah, so stuff like that. She, had this, she also was very comfortable with the topic, like, the subject matter. I mean, some people came in very hesitant. And, yeah. like, the character was supposed to be quirky. And people really had a hard time with, laughing at cancer and that's i mean that's not an easy thing to do but remember susan came in in this really quirky outfit Hmm. walks in big belt buckle sits down really slouched back and she's just like like does her lines and then we just start laughing he's like god you're so funny and she's like great i'm a clown with cancer now and we're just like (laughs) you're like we we love you and (laughs) this is amazing and she's she was truly and we're so fortunate that she showed up because she um she was working uh, like a, another job and somebody, she wasn't even going to audition. Somebody was like, oh yeah, I heard about this film. You should check it out. And that's, I mean, that's how it happened. It was amazing. And she was willing to shave her head. She was, yes. That was a big one. Yeah. Oh, that I, scene. No yeah. bald caps. I'm right. sorry. Because she even said, she's like, there's, and I get like, of course, you know, people say like, well, it's acting. You have to, if you're a good actor, you should be able to pretend that you know what it's like, but you don't. That's kind of a You load. never will. <laughs> And yeah, and so that was a big deal breaker. I was like, I'm sorry, but you have to go through this. And it's going to be really hard. That was a very tough day on set. Because first off, we vastly (laughs) underestimated how long it takes to shave a head. Um, It was like 15 minutes of filming. And we had set up this three camera angle shot because it's one day. Once that (laughs) hair gets cut, you don't get to do it again. and I remember, like, I felt so bad for our, our sound operator who's standing with her arms over her head with a, a boom microphone that kind of just hangs there for the entire 15 minutes. And then at the end, I mean, Susan's crying, Melissa's crying, the boom, the boom operator's crying. crying, and we're just like, let's take five minutes. <laughs> we traumatized Frankie, who had to shave her head. Yeah, Frankie, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, who uh, plays Ben in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone went out for a smoke break after that. Um, <laughs> people who didn't even smoke. <laughs> yeah, that was a very powerful scene. That was one, I think for me, I it was so emotional because it brings you back as someone who's been diagnosed with breast cancer and needed the chemo treatments. Like, in a flash, it brings you right back to that, like, moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so very well done, but, like, so powerful. Um and you can tell how real it was. Like her face is like red, and like it's real. It was happening, um, and how scary it was. How she did everything with her hands over her eyes and didn't want to yeah. see. That was um, quite powerful. Yeah, that yeah. was my so. big like. I remember not looking until the very end. Yeah. I don't know if that made it better or worse. Yeah, it's it's you hard do to what you gotta do. It's yeah, it's really truly really hard to tell in that room, but there were. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I believe there are eight people in this tiny little bathroom too, um, kind of surrounding her, and it's just like I couldn't. I just, you know, I have a very minor acting background, but I can only imagine what must have been going through her head during that, yeah. like playing, becoming that character, and experiencing that. I mean, 
that's the kind of thing that changes a person for a like for the rest of their lives and she would portrayed it truly to a point where i mean it it felt real to both of us i would love to hear like what's next on the agenda for ginger the movie yeah so we've been we've been doing a lot of um private screenings as fundraisers we've um supported survivingbreastcancer.org with this one in Houston. Um, we were able to support the American Cancer Society with two in Chicago, and um, we are now um, heading in a couple of weeks to Polson, Montana for um, the Flick uh, Film Festival, and uh, Beloit, Wisconsin for another film festival. We also found out we'll be in a film festival potentially in the Middle East, which is kind of cool, as it'll be the first overseas screening. Um, and we are, thank you, and our really, our goal right now is to um, put together a big premiere or launch essentially of, to the public in um, October, Breast Cancer, Breast Cancer Month 2019. Um, and we have a few lined up, uh, nothing like we can really announce yet, but soon. And um, yeah. Well, we got a lot of people who've been pinging me saying, when are you coming to Boston? What about New York? Yeah, right. There was um, a girl also from, I was like, Memphis. I was like, oh, we have to do something in Memphis. And I don't know. So you guys are definitely going all over. So, we will go anywhere we can. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think we had a goal at one point to screen the movie in all 50 states, and we'll see if that can happen. I think, you know, there's there's an excitement about it. And I think the more people that see the movie, the more it resonates with just this huge audience of people who are, yeah, they want to see it. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, stay tuned, you guys, and keep following us. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening to our show. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always contact your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, please feel free to reach out to me. My email is laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. Until next time, keep on thriving.